On December 1st of 1862, Abraham Lincoln wrote this in his concluding remarks in his annual message to Congress. Quote, The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate for the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew, and then we shall save our country. Every time I find a quote like this, as we study the means of grace, I'm compelled to share it with you, mainly just to demonstrate that there is nothing new under the sun. Every generation believes itself and its problems to be unique, special, exceptional in human history. And yet the pattern is the same. Lincoln looked back at the quiet days, even though they included a revolutionary war. We do the same thing. We call them the good old days. Lincoln talked about the stormy present, piled high with difficulties, just like we do. Things that are going on are unlike anything we've ever seen in our lives. And then we look into the frighteningly unpredictable future. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our country? But mostly I share this quote because it demonstrates the ever-present pervasiveness of the pull towards something new. It highlights the feeling that you and I often have, even as believers in Christ, that our help and that our hope uh, in rising to whatever difficulty might confront us is something new. That was Lincoln's solution for the obstacles they faced, new thoughts, new actions. Let me tell you, it's not true. Our help and our hope lies in something very, very old, the ancient path, the means of grace that God has given to his people since he first made them his people. And this old way is prayer. I would love, love to witness the transformation that would take place in our lives, your life and my life, in our families in this church, in this community. If you and I would together commit ourselves to this ancient means of grace, if in devoted prayer, you and I would look together upon the face of God as he reveals himself to us in the person of Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of God's nature. Prayer takes us to Him, to the face of God. Therefore, we must be people who are devoted to prayer. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we come once again to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, if you would take them now and turn to that book, that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, or you can just follow along in the bulletin as the passage is printed there. But when you found Acts chapter 2, if you'll stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. 
Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now, once again, to, to bless us as you promise through the reading and the hearing of your word. Spirit of God, bring us understanding and application to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You'll be seated. So once again, we read in verse 42 that these early believers in Christ devoted themselves to the prayers. This means of grace whereby the power of the Spirit of God, they were taken into the presence of Jesus. What is your relationship with prayer? How much do you really believe in it? How often do you do it? What's your purpose in praying? What does it accomplish? How has prayer helped you? How often has it disappointed you? Have you found prayer to be powerful or ineffective? Do you believe prayer is more about the results that you get or the relationship that you form? I'm not going to answer any of those questions. I just offer them to you to to show the, the breadth of the things about which we could talk when we come to this topic of prayer. Listen as well to some verses. They're so familiar to you, but they remind you and me of the prominence that prayer should have in our lives. In Romans 12, 12, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, commands us that we be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer. Ephesians 6 tells us to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Philippians 4 tells us to pray about everything. And of course, Jesus famously told the parable of the persistent widow for this purpose. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray at all times and not lose heart. And so when it comes to uh, this reality of prayer, neither Jesus nor the Apostle Paul shy away from being superlative about prayer, from being extreme, never ceasing, all times, all prayer, all supplication, everything. What is it that they know about prayer? What is it that they believe about prayer that causes them to be so superlative, to be so extreme. You know, we've talked 
over the course of the last several weeks about corporate worship, what we're doing right now, how it's a place and a time to imagine. So imagine what real biblical prayer must be. Imagine what it must accomplish. Imagine how God intends to bless and benefit those who devote themselves to it, to cause Jesus and Paul to be so superlative in telling us that we ought to pray. Imagine what you and I are missing out on when we don't pray like this. Listen, our enemy, the devil, knows the power of prayer. His plan was completely undone by just one prayer of Jesus. The prayer of Jesus when he said to his father, not my will, but your will be done. That one prayer took Jesus to the cross. That one prayer kept Jesus on the cross until it was finished. Until sin and death and the devil were defeated. So no, your enemy, my enemy, doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to pray together because he wants to exclude you and me or to see ourselves as excluded from this kind of prayer. To believe, oh, I could never pray like that. Oh, I could never be so extreme in my prayers. He wants us to be intimidated by the superlatives of it, to believe that this kind of prayer is for someone else but not for us. Because guess what? If he can keep us away from prayer, he can keep us away from Jesus, who's our source of life and light and love. I believe that superlative prayer can be our experience. Even when we come together, if it were not possible, God would not require it of us. He's not that kind of God. To command us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. That's why in our God's will for our lives portion of worship this morning, we read from 2 Peter that that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's power can enable us to pray like this. Because we are in the middle of studying the means of grace. And because we've seen week by week that by God's design, the means of grace are for us to experience together in corporate worship. I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning focusing on corporate prayer. That's not to suggest that you and I don't pray privately. We should, we must. Jesus says in Matthew 6, When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. You and I must pray privately. But immediately after Jesus says that, he teaches the disciples about prayer. And he makes it a a corporate activity. He teaches them to pray our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. 
So I want us to consider why we should pray together. Why? Why should we pray together? There are two reasons. The first reason is simply because it's the pattern and the practice of these early believers. That's why we should pray together. It's the pattern, it's the practice of the early church. Verse 42 tells us they were devoted to praying together. If we go back one chapter to Acts chapter 1, we see the disciples doing the same thing there in the upper room. Acts 1.14. All of these, and there were about 120 of them, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his disciples. And so there's that word, devoted again. Prayer was never far away from these believers when they were together. Prayer persistently took up their time and their attention when they were together. All of them individually became one in prayer. They joined together. They agreed that they should pray And then they did pray in one accord. It ought to be enough for you and me to know that this early church, the church to which Jesus added people every single day, the church over which a a holy awe settled, the church that gave and sacrificed so that none among them had any need. The church that would very soon turn the world upside down with the gospel. This church was devoted to praying together. The Spirit of God inspired Luke to record this pattern of corporate prayer. So now you and I see the potential You and I see the possibilities that await a church that prays together. What if God worked among us as he did the early church? Because we're devoted to praying together. Imagine. What more motivation do we need? It is true that God is full of grace and he might do his mighty work through us without our prayers. It's just like God, isn't it? To give us what we don't deserve. But why would we settle for that? Why would that be okay with us? Why why not participate with God in this beautiful pattern of corporate prayer? It's the pattern of the first century church. It ought to be the pattern of the 21st century church as well. We need nothing new. We need nothing new for our stormy present or our unpredictable future. We just need to pray together. We need to figure out how is it that we're going to do that more and more. We have to be intentional about planning for it. I, the session, need to lead in that, but we need your input as well. As we've seen over the last few weeks, What our hearts love, our will chooses, and our mind justifies, right? What our heart loves, our will chooses, 
and our mind justifies. What if, what if the thing we loved was prayer? What if that's the thing that our wills chose? And what if our minds went to work in our lives to justify that love we have? No, I choose to pray because I love prayer. The second reason that we must pray together is that because praying together gives each of us a fuller picture of Jesus. Praying together gives each of us a fuller picture of Jesus. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, that prayer meeting in the upper room. 120 believers in Jesus, both men and women, family and friends of Jesus were waiting and praying. What did those prayers sound like as each one took their turn? What did they pray? You know, each one of them had their own unique relationship with Jesus. It's beyond doubt that over the course of three years they spent with him, and more, of course, for his mother Mary and his brothers. But, but the 12 disciples, they had alone time with Jesus. What of their issues or brokenness or struggles had Jesus addressed? How had he counseled them through those issues or struggles? How had he helped them? How had he healed them? How did they come to know Jesus as a result? And now, think of this. Jesus is physically gone away from him. And now they must relate to Jesus through prayer. So what vivid memories do they have of these encounters with Jesus? What aspects of Jesus do they know because of the way in which Jesus had dealt with them? And what have those things now come up in their minds and their hearts as they pray together? I vividly remember when I was about six years old, I went to the little grocery store on Main Street with my grandmother. And while we were shopping, someone stopped to talk to her. But it wasn't just a passing, oh, hello, Ruth, how are you? No, this person stayed and kept talking to my grandmother as if she was really enjoying it. Now talk about the wonder of a child. My brain was trying to bring order to the dissonance. My grandmother actually has friends? I didn't have a paradigm for my grandmother having friends because at this point, the only way I knew my grandmother was as the strict disciplinarian, stand me with my nose in the corner kind of grandmother. I'm not saying I didn't deserve it. I'm not saying I didn't need the discipline. I'm just saying she's very willing to administer it. She's the one who had me drug out of bed, out of a deep sleep to move my bike off of her sidewalk because I had broken the rules and left it there. So, Granny having a friend did not compute. And then Granny and this friend actually laughed together. And I was completely undone. My grandmother laughed. I'd never seen it in my life. Clearly, 
this friend saw something in my grandmother that I had never seen. Granny related to each one of us in a different way, out of a different need. I needed discipline. Her friend needed to laugh. You and I, we know each other in different ways. I know you in a different way than your spouse knows you or than your coworker knows you. You and I, we behave differently around different kinds of people depending on the relationship that we have with them. And so each one of us brings out different aspects of each other's personalities. And so you and I experience Jesus differently. Even though he does so many same things for us and saving us and making each one of us new believers still, in his infinity, in our individuality, he works with us differently. In his book on prayer, Tim Keller writes about how C.S. Lewis reflected on his friendships and he realized that certain aspects of his friends' personalities were only brought out in the presence of other friends. In other words, Lewis could not know another person fully apart from the presence of others. And so Lewis writes, By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. And then Keller writes, If it takes a community to know an ordinary human being, how much more necessary would it be to get to know Jesus alongside others? By praying with friends, you'll be able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you have not yet perceived. So when you and I pray together, we see more of Jesus. You think that's a good reason that we should pray together? Do you? That's why I included in the bulletin this morning. These prayers from the valley of vision. It's, it's like listening to someone else pray. Listening to someone else pray who knows the Lord so deeply. To see how that person relates to Jesus. To see the boldness that that person has in approaching Jesus. To hear the kind of things that they ask for. To listen for the scriptural truth that they incorporate and appropriate in their prayers. To feel how they usher us into the presence of Jesus. To see the awe and the splendor that they see. And then we know Jesus in a fuller way. And you and I might respond, I never thought of praying like that. I never thought of praying for that. And then when you and I go to our closet to pray in private, we pray differently because we know Jesus more deeply. Corporate prayer empowers our private prayer. Corporate prayer. Praying with others empowers our private prayer. The same is true for the Psalms. Reading through the prayers of the Psalms, it's like praying together with the psalmist. We read what they experienced, how their life experience was different, how their struggles were different, how their emotional states were different than ours. And again, we read these prayers and think, oh, I would have never prayed that. Oh, I would have never said 
such a thing to the Lord. Especially the part about breaking out all their teeth. You know how it goes. These are people who had a different experience with God and with His Word. And so we listen to their prayers. And we're encouraged because when we listen to their prayers, we know God better. We get even more of Jesus, a fuller Jesus. On our own, on your own, me, on my own, our perspective is probably too narrow. It's probably based on our own needs, based on our own wants, based on our own limitations. For us, it tends to be the same thing when we come to Jesus alone. But when we pray together, literally, vistas of who Jesus is opens up before us. You know, no one wants to experience something spectacular alone. If you were ever actually able to experience a clear, star-filled night sky, a hundred miles away from light pollution, a hundred miles away from air pollution, you would probably conclude that you never knew the sky could look like that. And you would never want to experience it alone. It's too good. You would want to share that moment with someone else so you could hear them say, yes, yes, what you're seeing, what you think you're seeing, it is really real and it's really amazing. And look, there's even more. See, when we pray together corporately, we see more and more and more of Jesus. And we know together that he really is awesome as we each pray, revealing more amazing facets of who Jesus is. Praying together helps us see Jesus more fully. And there's nothing more that you need or that I need than to see Jesus more and more, to know Jesus more and more. We don't need anything different from that. So let's do this. Let's be devoted to praying together. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, convict us by your word, we pray, about the prominence that prayer should have in our lives. Lord, if our practice doesn't match with your call to us from your word, Father, by your spirit, uh, change us, we pray. Lord, encourage us as well by the power of prayer, particularly, Lord, as we pray corporately in fellowship together as your people whether we gather here or in community groups around the city. Lord, may we be devoted to prayer. We ask that you would take away the hindrances that would prevent that. Take away the apathy that makes us think it's not important or doesn't matter. Make us people of prayer, Lord, so that we may know you more and more and see more clearly 
your beauty. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.